Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Om Shanti. time that we choose to be aware doesn't necessarily require me to just sit and meditate, but even while I walk and move around, I can be in a meditative awareness, which is awareness of the soul, the original, eternal imperishable being of light. For a little while, I'd like to invite you to be present, to be here, and to be now. Allow your mind to settle in the moment, to relax. This meditation is about awareness. It's about becoming aware of your original and eternal self. It's about connecting to your truth. Let go of your name. And observe yourself feeling nameless. Let go of your gender to discontinue thinking you're a man or a woman. Let it go and observe how you would feel walking around without a gender. Let go of the role that you play 
and let go of the titles that you own. Observe how you're feeling as you are gradually letting go. Let go of your religion and put it aside just for now. And let go of your nationality and even the language that you're accustomed to. Imagine you have no name, gender, role, title, religion, nationality, or even a language. Ask yourself. How do you feel at this moment? And in this feeling, who would think of you and who would you think of? The Supreme Soul would think of you. And you, the liberated soul, would think of the Supreme. In this state of absolute freedom, I am truly who I am. A free, Peaceful, pure, immortal, and eternal soul. Allow yourself to just be absorbed in this awareness. this time. Hello everyone, welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Letting Go from Inclusion Revolution Together with Love by yours truly. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. Is everyone okay? Everyone's holding up? It's going on and on and on and everyone's now beginning to feel like they're under house arrest, Right. You know, house arrest, what crime did we commit? I think it might be just a pause. It's just that moment for us to really reflect, go inwards, and really begin to check who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing with my life? It's a very valuable time. You might find that the silver lining in the COVID-19 pandemic is actually a blessing in disguise. Of course, the families who have lost loved ones or those who are maybe in fear of do they live or do they pass on the transitions, don't see the silver lining. But as time passes forward and you look back in times, 
you will find that there are many gifts along the way, as well as perhaps moments of tragedy or just a sense of loss. So our good wishes, our pure feelings, our vibrations and blessings go out to you and yours. Each day we are learning more and more about who we really are if we listen. If we listen in silence and stillness, the answers will emerge. Trust me on that one. I'm the living proof of that. Day by day, you are learning something more about yourself. All you have to do is listen. And the deeper you're listening, the higher will be your spiritual intelligence. Today we have a very special guest on, Betty Stonehouse. She considers herself a citizen of the world, and she was born in England but raised in Toronto, Canada. Even as a young mother, Betty was active in the community, sitting on a number of boards and lending her expertise to various public organizations. But in 1993, Betty founded a consulting firm where for 25 years she used her unique abilities to act as a catalyst, facilitator, and advisor to both the private and public sectors. After being hit by a car several years ago, not long after retiring, she had an epiphany and realized that she had been on her own spiritual journey since her first visit to India in 1990. She has traveled so far to 155 countries, made friends all over the globe, but she still had unanswered questions. So she decided to sell everything, pack up her life, and travel the world, learning about various cultures, communities, and people. Her documentation of what she learned is she interviewed people from around the world and from all walks of life is the basis of her new book, In Search of Spiritual Intelligence. Today we welcome Betty Steinheyer. Betty, did I do okay with that? It's okay. Just call me Betty. It's fine. (laughs) That's a new interpretation. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you know what? I'm known to create a lot of new ideas. Listen, how are you doing as we experience this global pandemic? I'm fine, thank you. I feel I'm very fortunate because I left the UK two days for the lockdown in Canada. I always stay with my Canadian family, as I call them. So I have been safe, taken care of, and fed extremely well. Last Saturday, I even had a sit-down on the driveway with my grandkids, and we sat six feet apart. They were in their pajamas. And we were drinking coffee, so there we were. (laughs) That is so sweet. What do you believe the lesson is in all of this, Betty? Well, I'm really hoping that people begin to slow down, look at what's important to them, and also look inside their core and really begin to change and maybe have a little bit more compassion about themselves and also other people in the world. And I'm hoping that we don't go back and everything just happens the way it did before. So I'm hoping we can begin that slowdown process. Me too. With your fascinating life that you have lived so far, can you share with our listeners what got you to this point? What was that yearning Mm. inside that led you to traveling the world? Well, I've always been a very curious person, and I love to learn And I think I've had a lot of turmoil in my life. You know, I lost my father when I was very young, had to look after my mentally ill mother. There was no money, so I went out to work very young and quit school, etc. But I've always been very lucky in terms of I've always landed on my feet. So I feel that I've been protected somewhat. I was married, had two children, lost a child, which I blame God for for a lot of years. 
because I thought God couldn't be a nice God if they had taken away my child. So that probably went on for about 30 years. But I feel that that curiosity and being open to new things and new people, that has kept me on a journey that has kept me young because I am 77 years old now, which every time I say it, I think, yeek, but that's what I am. And I hope to be able to carry on a few more years because, as I said, that curiosity has just kept me going, plus feeling that I am protected by God. Oh, wow. That's a big shift for you, isn't it? It's a massive shift, and it's been a slow evolution. When I first went to India in 1990, I had a very, very rough time there. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I didn't believe in anything spiritual, so I got very angry, and I was very upset. It's taken me a long time to kind of get to this point, and I can really say that every point along the way, there's been like an aha moment, and as far as selling everything, I was just at the point where I had this very nice, comfortable life. I had this lovely apartment in downtown Toronto with all the bells and whistles. But I just decided that I was getting a little bored. So what did I need to do? So I was hit by this car, and that kind of said to me, oh, and I was fine. I was only in the hospital for a few hours, and my chiropractor and my trainer put me back together again. I say they put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So that was fine, but then I really felt that there was something missing. And then friends of mine came down one Saturday and said to me, we'd really like to buy your red couch. I said, no, no, you can't buy it. It's mine. And as we walked through the conversation that afternoon, I just decided it was fine. Let it all go. And the nicest part for me is where I stay in Toronto are those friends that came to visit me on Saturday afternoon. And they have my old furniture in their house. Every time I come back, I get to stay in a room with my old bedroom furniture. And that's been going on for seven years. Like you get to see everything you had before, but it's not yours anymore. You don't want it anymore. It's theirs. It's nice to look at. Even my art on the wall, it's nice to look at, but it doesn't belong to me anymore. There's no more attachment to it, right? There's no more attachment, and it's just very nice to kind of appreciate. I've always appreciated what other people have. I've never been a jealous person, so now I can appreciate this. It's not mine anymore. It belongs to someone else, and that's perfectly fine. I love it, but I don't have to have the responsibility for it. So I think that we met for the first time in New York and then in India, and I know that you've been a friend of the Brahma Kumaris for quite a number of years. Why don't yes. you tell us how you came in contact with them and what brought you close to them? Okay, when I was in Toronto, my next-door neighbor was a man by the name of Anthony Phillips. His sister, Denise, is very strong, old. She was, I think, the first Western BK to be in a sari. And he was my next-door neighbor. And I used to see all these people in white turning up every so often, but I didn't really pay that much attention. And then the Dalai Lama was my client in Toronto, and he was doing some program at the University of Toronto, and I was helping him with orchestrating it and all the strategies and whatever. I found the Dalai Lama to be a very lovely man with a wonderful sense of humor, but I really didn't feel anything kind of what I would call spiritual, but it was fine. The next day, I was invited for coffee to Anthony's home, who lived next door to me, and he said to me, I have some very special people that are coming over this morning. Please come. So I went over and walked into this house, And I went into shock because it was all of these people sitting in what I would call a sea of white. 
There was white outfits on, and I happened to have on a black track suit because I had been gardening that morning. <laughs> so I kind of stuck out. And on one of the couches was this little old lady sitting there, and they told me to go and sit down beside her, which I did, and there was Daddy Jenky. And Daddy Jenky, as everyone knows or will know, that she was the administrative head of the Brahma Kamaris, who just left the body, I think now it's 41 days ago. And she just looked at me, and she at that point was, I think, 75 years old. And she, when she passed away, she was 104. And I was 25 years younger than that. And mm-hmm. she took my hand, and my whole body just fell apart. My whole body just fell apart. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble now. Because the Dalai Lama, I didn't have that effect with the Dalai Lama, but with Daddy Jenky, I did. So that was fine, and I was in a little bit of shock, and we did some meditation. It was lovely, and I said goodbye. And three months later, I was on a plane going to India with Anthony Phillips by my side. I was going as his guest to a peace of mind retreat in Mount Abu, India, at the Brahma Kamari Spiritual University. And I had a very, very difficult time because I couldn't adjust to what I was seeing and what I was hearing. So I kind of reacted in a very strong way. And I made a journal which was full of questions. When I left, I said, I'm never coming back here again. And I think 23 visits later, I have been back 23 times. (laughs) But what happened when I left was I had this journal full of questions. And Daddy and Sister Genty invited me to go to London for a week so I could spend an hour with each of them every day and ask my questions. That's what I did. And at the end of that week, I was absolutely exhausted. And I said to both (laughs) of them, I can't be a BK. I'm not ready for that yet. But I would love to have an association with this organization for the rest of my life. So can I be called an associate BK? So I have been an associate BK or someone who's been very close to the BKs now for about 30 years. That's a very short way of telling a very long journey. (laughs) Well, it's just beautiful, and I think that also speaks volumes about the world of the Brahma Kumaris. Once you pass the white dress and the girls with the little ponytails Mm -hmm. in the back of their heads, there's so much more inside of that vortex of consciousness. Let's talk about your new book, In Search of Spiritual Intelligence, it's based on many interviews with people about what they believe spiritual intelligence is and what it means to them. So what were some of your findings in this area? And was there a general consensus on this? I don't know whether I would call it a general consensus. I think that because I interviewed 39 people from around the world, from all walks of life, half being members of the Brahma Kamaris and half not being, and I did that on purpose, because I wanted to try to get the different aspects. And I think I discovered that the Brahma Kamaris have a very deep feeling, and because they have gone through so much study and have been students for many, many years, they understand the depth of God and the wisdom and what life is all about. My friends, on the other hand, I think have their own level of depth and wisdom. And what I discovered was that my criteria for choosing people was very simple. I wanted them to have humility and humanity. And if they had those two elements, I felt they would also understand what I was trying to achieve with this book. And I found that happened. I remember I interviewed a minister from the Church of Scotland who also runs the Theology Institute at Princeton University. 
I got on the phone with him. He's an old friend, and he said to me, Betty, I have no idea what you're doing, and I have no idea what spiritual intelligence is. So I said, Will, just please be patient and spend the next 45 minutes with me, which he did. And at the end of it, he said, now I get it. His stories are very simple in terms of how people react to other things in life. And he told a beautiful story, I thought, a young man who was very, very poor and who didn't have a good set of clothes to wear. And someone gave him a very nice set of clothes. And the next time he went out, he was seen by the neighbors and he stood tall and he stood upright and he looked very proud and his clothes were clean and he really looked like he was going to something important. That set of clothes gave him dignity. And I think that's a lovely story. And I think it's the same thing as when I've traveled to many third world countries, being in amazement at how these little huts where people can walk out of those huts, the young kids ready for school, all neatly pressed, white uniforms, looking absolutely gorgeous. I could never pull that off in a million and ten years, <laughs> but it's done. It happens in India. I've seen it in Jamaica. I've seen it in Mauritius. I've seen it in numerous places around the world. So it's like dignity people feel when they are feeling good about themselves inside. I love that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a very simple example, but to me that's a very precious example. I do. So, Betty, as we take a pause and slow down for a bit, because I think some of the things that we are sharing with our audience, it requires that deep thinking. And when we look at the idea or the concept of spiritual intelligence, you know, each individual will have a different interpretation. I'd love to hear from you personally why you think it is so important to acquire a sense of personal spiritual intelligence, and maybe even especially in these times? I think the first word that comes to me is calmness. In this particular time, what I've noticed myself doing is looking beyond what is happening. So I look at how people are reacting. I can feel the fear from some people. I look at what the media is saying. But you feel like you're a little bit in a different space. So spiritual intelligence to me is being aware of who I am and also being aware of who other people are and what they're feeling. Some people may call that intuition. I've been told in my life that I'm a little bit psychic, whatever that means. So I think it's that awareness level, just being a little bit above the fray and seeing and hearing and understanding maybe a little bit more than most of the population, because you're kind of not in it, you're outside of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. I can understand. Yeah, I just want to make sure everyone else is also getting it. Spiritual intelligence, wouldn't you say it's when you're able to respond from a place that you still stand in your self-worth and self-respect, you're able to honor the person from that place of your self-worth and self-respect, even if you don't agree with them. I mean, isn't that such an intelligent person? Yes, absolutely. I tell the story in my book. It's in a chapter on terrorism. And I tell the story about in Toronto a number of years ago, there was a killing. A man ran down 18 people on the side of the road. And one of the people that was killed was a former volunteer for me. And the press called me 
and they asked, this reporter said to me, aren't you angry? Why aren't you really upset at this man? Don't you want him put away and killed and whatever? And I said, no, I can't be angry. And she got very mad with me because I couldn't respond to her in the way she wanted me to respond. And I tried to explain to her that this poor 18-year-old guy who had done this had fell through the cracks of our mental health system. Or why would he ever do that? So what I felt was compassion. I wouldn't use the word forgiveness. I would use the word compassion. And I felt that we really had to find out more about why this happened because hopefully we could learn and help other people. And that to me is what the world should be all about. We all should be able to see something and say, hey, it's not that we want to fix it. We just want to find hopefully another way of maybe dealing with something. So when this reporter got very upset with me, that taught me something because I couldn't be angry. And an 18-year-old to do that, there's no way. Couldn't be. Yeah. What do you know at that age anyway, at 18? Well, that's what I'm saying. One of my grandkids, who is just turning 21, and we had this Mm -hmm. conversation last night, she was talking to me about the book, and she had read just, I think, two chapters. And she said to me, I don't understand any of this. I said, well, (laughs) read a little bit more, and hopefully we'll talk, and hopefully you will at some point. (laughs) And, you know, I was the very same way. I bet. Yeah, me too. But with all of your travels, Betty, what have you learned about yourself the most? Well, most of my travels started in the third world because I also had a charity that I called the People Bridge Charitable Foundation after I left my business. And we funded, I think, about 120 projects in 18 different countries. And they were all very, very small projects, probably between five and $10,000. And there was micro-lending banks. There was little projects that got people, little jobs and farming projects and feeding projects in India, etc. And I learned that everyone is the same. We're all the same. We all want the same things. We all want a roof over our head, enough food to feed our family, and we all want to be healthy. I don't care whether someone's rich, rich, or whether someone's living in a little hut somewhere and very poor. Those are the three elements that everyone wants. I remember once I was in Africa and I was working with a group of 15-year-old girls that had been serially raped over a period of time and we had set up a little hairdressing studio for them so they could go and learn how to be hairdressers, how to do a manicure. And one of these little girls was giving me a manicure. And I started to talk to her about what she had gone through in life. She was living with these men and what had happened to her, etc. And I started to cry. And the reason I started to cry was because I was raped when I was 13 years old, and I had never told anyone, never. And so she brought that out in me. So we sat there together, she at 15, I was in my 50s at this point. And so I think whatever you do in life, even through this charity, which I founded, It was a learning experience for me in so many ways. So I don't think you should ever go into a situation and say, I know it all, because I think that's impossible. We all learn, and we learn from all different types of people. And that's what this book has taught me, too. That's so beautiful. So how has writing your book, In Search of Spiritual Intelligence, changed you? Has it changed you any? Yes. I never used to let out of the bag that I was associated with the Brahma Kumaris. 
I mean, people that knew me knew that I kind of went to India every year and I kind of did this stuff and I volunteered at the hospital and I helped with fundraising and I kind of poked around. But what was she going to India for and what was really going on? I never talked about it. So as I say in this book in the epilogue, what this book has done has brought me out of the closet. (laughs) I would never say that I'm a full-blown 100% Brahma Kumari, but are they part of my life and have they been part of my life for 30 years and hopefully they will continue to be part of my life. I love the people I've met. I love the knowledge. I love the wisdom that I've learned. And I think that is the only reason I would never become what I would call a full-time Brahma Kumari is because I'm a rebel. I have to kind of be on the outside a little bit. That's my temperament. That's my personality. And I've always been that way. So the rebel has to continue in me, as I say. (laughs) But yes, it has brought me out of the closet. (laughs) Well, you know what I've noticed, too? You went to India in 1990. You wrote in your journal, I'll never come back to this place again. And look at you 23 times later. So one never Mm -hmm. knows. I used to be a rebel, and I've changed, but I think I'm a rebel with a cause. Back in the day in my 20s, I was a rebel without a cause. Yeah, I think if I would just go ahead and just say about you, if you don't mind, I think you are a rebel. You're doing it in a very special way. And I think you still have a little bit of a reputation as a rebel, and that's good. I'm a rebel with a cause. (laughs) Absolutely. You have a major cause, and I think it's wonderful. And I think how you do it, I think it's excellent. We all can be who we are. We all have to respect each other's ways of doing things. And so my way may be a little bit unusual. I may not always follow the rules 100% of the time, but my respect and love for God, and I can now say my respect and love for the divine and for the Brahma Kumari's family is probably number one in my life. That's so beautiful to hear. So are you planning to go on a tour to feature the book anywhere? Well, I'm not sure at this point. For this book to be released at this particular point in time, in one sense it's good, on the other sense it's not so good. So it has a UK publisher, and it happened in the middle of February, and I know that he was originally not going to publish it until May, and he changed his mind for some reason after he read the manuscript, so it was published early, and I'm really glad it was. So there's very little I can do at this point in time. I mean, I'm promoting it, I'm doing various things, I'm going on a couple of radio shows, I'm finding contacts, and I'm doing it that way. And I would like to go on a book tour, but I'm just not quite sure when that can happen. But I would Mm -hmm. hope that it can. There's supposed to be a launch for the book in India, matter of fact, because one of the hotels in Mount Abu, the Hillock Hotel, had agreed to host a launch for me, and Shivani had agreed to be at the launch, which was wonderful. And I think everyone should know who Shivani was. So I was very pleased with that. So whether or not that can happen in October, I have no idea. I've had offers Mm. of a type of a launch in Penang, Malaysia. So we just have to wait and see. So I'm not concerned about it. I'm just going to take it Mm. one step at a time. And this book may take at least a year by the time everything is done with it because the book tour, I think, probably has to wait till the fall and spring. Don't you think so? You know what, I'm at a point that I'm so present, I have no idea what the future holds. <laughs> and the only thing that I'm focused on right now is, is my heart clean? Am I focused? Am I present? I do know there is a golden age that's going to come. I don't know when. 
but my focus a lot during this pandemic is, Jen, is your heart clean? Is your heart pure? Whatever needs to be done, I get it done and move on to my next assignment. So listen, have you got but any I think, words to share with our listeners before I let you go? I think what you just said is lovely, and I think if once you get to that stage in life, I think that's brilliant. And I must admit, I now understand what that stage is, and I'm not there totally, but I know I'm getting there. There's a calmness. There's a willingness to kind of sit back and watch and listen, and I think that's a big part of it, so I'm not jumping in and doing whatever. I would love people to be able to read because it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. It's in print edition. It's on Kobo and Kindle and Google Books from what I understand. So it's worldwide, which is lovely, and the publisher has just been wonderful. So I would just say, please, everyone, read the book. It's very simple. It's very lovely. People's stories are quite brilliant, and I learn from each and every one of them. And continue to stay well and get through this time we have and learn from the time and grow from the time because I think growth is very important. Indeed. Now, did you leave us with a website? I know you've told us about where to get the book, but do you also have your personal website? I have a personal website, which is www.nomadicintern.com. And you can read about all of my travels. You can read about my background, everything on that website. So if you Google the nomadicintern.com, you will go directly to that website. There is information about the book on the website. So you can follow me, and I'd love to have blog people follow me because I think that's kind of fun when Mm -hmm. people are following you for around the world. And I try to write a blog every couple of weeks. I'm not always on time, but I try because there's so many other things going on. But I'm very proud of this book, and when I started it, I was talked into doing it. I never thought that I would ever take on anything this extensive, but I've done it. And my first book was done in 2012, which was the story of my life. It's called My Way. And the publisher has published this book, In Search of Spiritual Intelligence, and he's also republished My Way, which is lovely. So you could get all kinds of information about me, whether you like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) I wish everyone well, and I'm hoping that they will enjoy this book because I personally think it's a very special group of stories about a very special group of people. I'm sure they will. Betty Steinheuer, thank you so much, and all the best. Om Shanti. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Om Shanti. Take care. Bye-bye. Stay well, everyone. So we should get a copy of Betty's new book to find out more about all of the spiritual stories that might exist. Do know that we wish to know ourselves completely, but the destiny has a way of bringing us to a completely different perspective. So whether you think you know yourself, just be patient. You'll see that something will come out of you that you're going, I never thought that I would think that, never thought I would say that. (laughs) So anyway, remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. Don't forget to pause for your traffic control. Every hour and hour, pause for 30 seconds. Generate your own personal peace and spread your peace around the world. And be kind, be loving, be truthful. Betty said, we all here want the same things. And in addition to that, let's start to do it from inside, that we be the best that we can. We don't give anyone sorrow. And we really do our best not to take the sorrow from others when they're being less than. It's time for us to have this spiritual sense of humanity and begin to connect deeper to one another. All right? You take care. 
Here's Om Shanti Om by Elizabeth Padilla. Take care. Be well. Sister Jenna, you've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 
Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.